The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to ghosts and government cover-ups, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Planet Earth. Unique amongst all the heavenly bodies man has found. With a circumference of 24,900 miles. Animals. Birds. Insects. And, of course, human beings. Hey, what are you doing? Get off my lawn. Almost 7.4 billion of them as we record this podcast with the projected 10 billion people on the planet in 2056. But wait, there's more. The Earth faces peril. Just this past year, 4 million 566,726 hectares of forests were lost. Timber! To put that into perspective, since 1990, over 129 million hectares of forest, the equivalent area of South Africa, have been lost. Also, desertification. Soil is being destroyed at an alarming rate. Over 10.5 million hectares this year. And that's not all. The air is being polluted. 32 billion, 67 million tons and counting of CO2 emissions are released each year. Not even to mention the methane and other gases. But all is not lost in this epic battle of destruction and creation. In the darkness has emerged a shining white light of hope. That is the EPA. 
The Environmental Protection Agency is here. Yes, welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. We did it a little bit differently today, but we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm Matt. I'm Noel. And hopefully you are you and in the right place, which makes this stuff they don't want you to know. This week, we did a video on the EPA. Yes, uh, it's it's one that we shot while we were in Washington, D.C. this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, the EPA is uh, Environmental Protection Agency, kind of like a lot of other countries have. Mm-hmm. It's also, uh, well, I don't know. Let's just say what it's supposed to do. Oh, sure. So the EPA was actually established on December 2nd of 1970 to consolidate into a single agency a variety of federal research, monitoring, standard setting, uh, and enforcement activities to ensure the protection of our environment. Now, the mission of the EPA, there are many of them. Uh, they are wide-ranging, and it goes from everything to... Uh, to ensure that Americans are protected from threats to health, right? And that's where they work, where they live, and where they learn. Um, what else? Uh, let's see. Also to hold companies or uh, even other governmental bodies responsible for uh, pollution or contamination, keeping uh, people up to the standards that are issued in their policies, right? Exactly. In other words, holding corporations accountable for their pollution. Right. Perfect. Please stop putting all of this, uh, let's, what's, what's up? All these, all, all these, uh, benzene derivatives into the rivers, yeah. right? All yeah. The, all the muck. Or muck. lead. Let's say lead mm-hmm. from an old gold mine, perhaps. Sure. Yes. It runs the gamut for sure. And so these efforts, these national efforts to reduce environmental risk, let's call it, are, you know, ultimately based on the best scientific data that's available. And federal laws that protect human health and the environment are enforced, you know, hopefully fairly and effectively. In theory. In theory, indeed. If you go to EPA.gov, you can find their entire mission statement, all the things that they are supposed to do, at least officially. Um Nolan Ben and I were just going over the mission statement and, uh, they, so they develop, the EPA actually develops regulations and right. enforces them as well. So if you think about Congress goes and writes an environmental law, or let's say maybe a <clears throat> lobby or a company writes, <laughs> writes a law and then Congress rewrites it and signs it, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that maybe. happens. Maybe they rewrite it. <laughs> yeah, maybe they rewrite it. The EPA will then write the regulation to go along with uh, whatever Congress says needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they will also set national standards and enforce those regulations that they put forth. In theory. In theory. Uh, and something, Noel, that uh, I found out is that one of the big parts of the money that goes to the EPA is actually spent on giving out grants. Yeah, right. So nearly half of the uh, EPA budget actually goes into grants to state environmental programs, nonprofits, uh, educational institutions, and the like. Um, and these grants are intended to fund uh, environmental studies, um, conduct research at labs across the U.S., and uh, to share these findings with private organizations, academic institutions, other agencies, and other countries. So as you've heard, we've been peppering this conversation thus far with the uh, the caveats of, in theory, in a perfect world, this is what's supposed to happen. So, Ben, Matt, how does the EPA ultimately stack up to their mission? Well, 
See, that's the thing. Um, that's and, and when it's so polite that you say uh, we've been peppering with we've been peppering the show with in theory because for the past couple points we're making, I was just sitting back with my arms crossed, leaning in and saying in theory uh, <laughs> because it's true the EPA does not always. Uh, reach the goals it sets, right? Mm-hmm. It's maybe, you know, there's a fair amount of, of defense we could say about that. What's it all? Is it Robert Browning? Uh, man's reach must exceed his grasp, else what's a heaven for? It's a very mm-hmm. nice way to say, uh, it's a very nice way to look at ambition. But, uh, the, the thing is that the EPA gets numerous criticism, uh, not just from, People who think it's too big government and too regulatory, not just from people who think that it's, um, too, uh, too in the hands or in the pockets rather of corporate America. And even people who would say that the EPA is part of a, a lot of government agencies that do too much handholding and, uh, prevent private industry from creating the wealth that it should be. Right. And add to that. Uh, another group of critics, people who were formerly employed at the EPA, who have a lot of stuff to say about it, just like uh, Joseph Stiglitz, you know, going from working at the World Bank to being one of its largest detractors. Well, yeah, because when you're inside, you know, the mm. belly of the beast, it's the most stinky inside, right? Yes, uh, not a biologist, but uh, I would bet. <laughs> what do you think, Neil? It always reminds me of that scene in Return of the Jedi <laughs> where uh, you know, he has to get inside the kangaroo monster thing. Is that a tauntaun? Yes, it is. And Hollywood punched me for not knowing that. But not really. She wouldn't really punch me. She doesn't punch. But I, she would punch me with her eyes. Oh, you're, sure. You're referring to Holly Fry. Holly Fry is something <clears throat> missing in history class. Yeah. She is an avid Star Wars aficionado, mm-hmm. uh, let's say. But yeah, they always talk about how, oh, it's, it smells so gross. What if it's not a tauntaun? And I just, that's just a word that I no, know. No, it is. Okay. I, I, we've literally had this conversation before and I questioned what a tauntaun was. And she said, you know, the one that smells worse on the inside than it was on the outside. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. That's my frame of reference here. So that's the that's where you're coming from with the belly of the beast. Uh, the uh, the belly of the EPA beast um, really comes to light in some criticisms by a guy named William Sanjor. For about 20 years, Sanjor worked for the EPA. 30. 30. Yeah. It was 30. So for decades, he worked at the EPA, and he did not come out a happy camper. He says the entire place is corrupt. Yeah, and he, he wasn't just somebody who, I don't know, works in a small office as part of the EPA or a small lab mm-hmm. operated by the EPA. Uh, he started as a consultant, but then he ended up as a branch chief in the Hazardous Waste Management Division. Uh, so he knows his stuff. He, he's been in charge of some things there. He's been in the belly of the Tauntaun. That's right. Did I steal your line? No, <laughs> Please have it. This is yours. And it, it does go fairly far back. He, I think he's been employed during three presidencies, worked for three different, uh, white houses while he was working there. Um, he's got this really great, gosh, it's kind of long, um, well, why don't you split it up with me just to, cause I think it, it, it really encapsulates the, uh, the criticism that he's making. Well, and it's an insider perspective. So, I mean, it's certainly to be taken relatively seriously. So this is from What's Wrong with the EPA by William Sanjour. Written in, uh, 1995. 95, absolutely. Quote, to understand why the EPA is the way that it is, you have to start at the top. And since the EPA is part of the executive branch, that means the White House. 
The president, any president, Republican or Democrat, and his immediate staff have an agenda of about half a dozen issues with which they are most concerned. These are usually national security, foreign affairs, the economy, the budget, and maybe one or two others. Call them Class A priorities. All others, housing, education, transportation, the environment, are Class B. The president expects performance in Class A. He will expect the military to to be able to deploy forces anywhere in the world when an emergency arises. And if it isn't, he'll bang heads until it is. If Congress doesn't support his budget, he'll bring the budget director into his office and slam his fist on the table. But can you picture the president bringing in the Secretary of Transportation to his office and yelling because of poor bus service in Sheboygan or calling the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency into the Oval Office to chew him out for pollution in the Cuyahoga River? I can't. That is the difference. The president expects performance in Class A. In Class B, he expects peace and quiet. Yikes. I really thought that encapsulated just, I mean, an understanding of... If you tear out all the different things sure. that a White House has to deal with, a president and all the people who work in the White House, mm-hmm. the environment, while it is not currently up there, doesn't it feel like it kind of should be? There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. 
tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, that's that's part of the uh, that's part of the thing, and that's something we're going to talk about. Spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen, in an upcoming podcast next week on Congress, and it is going to be about how uh, individuals, elected officials, are or are not incentivized to take certain action. You know, if you're president, the the thing is that president is such a I'll say it. It's a bum job to have. I know you only get to have one at a time here in the U.S., and so psychologically, everybody wants. To do something like that. But is there a place that has more than one at a time? Well, I mean, you could be president of other things. You can be president of the Ben Bolin fan club, mm. you know, and uh, a tax, uh, a tax attorney. Mm. You could be president of the Noel Brown Enthusiast Association. We started those clubs on the same day. <laughs> well, crap. I, I didn't get the memo. Hmm. Sorry, it's a pretty exclusive mailing list. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, but, but, you know, the point is that the point is that if you are president for four years or heck, let's say eight, you get the mm-hmm. double whammy, then the hard and bitter truth about it is a lot of meaningful change for a country at all. Anything that size is going to take more than four to eight years to reach fruition. I mean, what occurred to me when we were talking about, you know, this class A and class B in order to make something that is considered class B under a, you know, presidency in mm-hmm. the nineties mm-hmm. to move up the ladder, that's going to take a long time. Things move slow. The system is designed for things to move slow. And, you know, I would argue in some cases for good reason. Sure. But it takes a whole lot of support from both sides of the aisle for something to become a Class A consideration that has been historically a Class B consideration. And I think we're just now starting to see inklings of acceptance of things like climate change, uh, you know, actually making its way to the forefront of political discussion that actually matters, you know? And furthermore, uh, Sandor also accuses the EPA of something that that we've heard a lot in the course of our research, which is cronyism, protecting the bureaucracy or the status quo rather than protecting the mission-critical policies, right, which would be the environment. So a lot of people, when they encounter the EPA, uh, were expecting something to be on their side, but they find that it can be adversarial instead, or those are the reports. Um, one thing that Sanders said that, and I'm not going to read it in full here, I'm going to paraphrase, he says, regulatory agencies, by their very nature, can do little that doesn't adversely affect business, especially big business, and that disturbs the president. So what he's saying is like that Class B priority all of a sudden has some class A problems. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You got champagne problems on a PBR budget. And, uh, it's, it's not, it's not a good look, I guess, if we're being, if we're being slang. Uh, 
But the EPA, according to Sandra, can't write regulations governing big industries like petroleum without the oil companies going to the White House about an energy crisis. And this is this is again his this is again his opinion. And what we found is that uh, in the EPA there have been repeated cases of uh, cronyism or people people kind of playing along and jumping through the hoops so that they can later get a job yes. in the private sector. Yes, helping out industry while you're inside the EPA so that eventually you're on the other side and helping out a company. Sorry. Another interesting thing that Sandra writes here that I am going to read a bit in full uh, is about how the agency is dealt with by environmental groups as opposed to industrial groups or private organizations. Um, and Basically what he's saying, I'm not going to read it in full. He, basically what he's saying is that environmental groups will deal with the EPA as an organization through courts, um, as an institution, in fact, you know, through committees, courts, and through the top EPA executives. So you go through the main uh, mm-hmm. channels, right? Right. But what he's saying is that industry does the same thing, but it also interacts with individual EPA employees at the lower levels. Uh. So they will come through and talk to an, an inspector, let's say. And it, what it, what it seems like, uh, Sandra is saying is that they almost groom these employees from an early stage of working at the EPA mm. to eventually become one of theirs. Huh. Well, it's almost like I, I would think from the perspective of like a, a CEO of a big corporation that, you know, has dealings with the EPA, having a high-level board member that was once in the ranks of the EPA – Probably be pretty helpful in a lot of ways in dealing with the EPA in the right. future. Well, sure, it's a strategy move. I mean, that's and you see that all the time. You see that with like SEC, mm-hmm. you know, folks ending up on the boards of big banks, and mm-hmm. you know, it just seems like a very a lot of potential for abuse there. It's a common practice. Uh, if we could run through some uh, other criticisms of the EPA, I just want to laundry list these real quick mm-hmm. so I don't slow us down too much. Uh, the most usual criticism of the EPA, um, according to a lot of people. Uh, and this is a political one, is that all these regulations keep people from making money. So the idea would be like the latest um, CO2 emissions regulations uh, are costing coal mining, right, and uh, eroding the margins. Um, or you'll also hear when I do the car show on car stuff with Scott Benjamin, you'll also hear people talking about the regulations and the way they impact the price or performance of cars. Uh, and – Another criticism. Again, I'll keep this really fast, so I'm not, you know. I was going to say. I was going to say we saw a great example of that last one with Volkswagen recently Mm -hmm. that we've kind of talked about already, but just the way they were getting around EPA standards and guidelines. Yeah, excellent example. Uh, Another criticism that kind of is used to support the first one is this idea, like, hey, what does it matter? You know what I mean? Uh, other, uh, developing nations, like the BRICS nations, eh, don't care as much, you know? Uh, and then, and I think there is a valid question there about pollution from developing countries, um, because a lot of the developed countries talking about pollution to the developing world are just sort of ignoring the fact that the industrial revolution rested yeah. on the, that kind of, that level of pollution. And, and without that, then there wouldn't be any of the advances that have gotten you past uh, polluting that much, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, it's a it 
It's an interesting idea to 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 what if and um, to explore a hypothetical world in which everybody was super concerned about the environment from day one. You know, would we be as far as a species? I don't know. It's a good question to ask. Probably not. Um, another criticism of the EPA is that it serves the political interest of whomever's in charge. Because let's remember, and listeners outside the U.S., uh, just to be clear, uh, the EPA employees are not elected. A lot of the policy makers in the U.S. are not elected. They they get an interview and they get hired. Yeah, appointed. Right, or appointed, yes. And so there are many that are under multiple presidents, like Matt was talking about. And I just wanted to run through those criticisms because it's something that people need to need to hear, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, I I tend to – you don't hear about the EPA very often in the news, right? Unless something really, really bad happens, like a spill or, uh, I don't know, something that the EPA is being culpable for. Or if you hear someone talking about budget cuts because mm-hmm. organizations like the EPA, they are – Easy fodder a lot of times, depending on the administration that's coming into the White House. Right. Um, because it's one of those things. It's, I guess, again, going back to what the guy said, a class B, uh, issue. And so now that we've, we've painted some of those pictures, right? And I, and I hope we're doing an okay job for you guys out there when we talk about the criticisms that an organization like this has. Uh, we also point out that an organization can't be this big without generating criticism, especially if it seems like it's costing people money and uh, there are people who say this has this is a short-term loss for long-term benefit, but will I ever see the long-term benefit? You know, there's a psychological mm-hmm. thing at play there. Uh, but let's, let's go right into the crazy stuff. But first, a word from our sponsor. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. 
In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, the Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man, Marie's a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return, your time won't, and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. Yes, yeah, so surprise, there are a lot of conspiracy theories about the EPA. And I'm just going to go ahead and straight out say it. Uh, some of those that are that concern corruption are absolutely spot on. Uh, yeah, it's hard to disprove yeah. some of those. <laughs> it's hard to disprove. However, um, well, also, they easily prove themselves. Yeah, that's what I mean. Real. Yeah. But also, um, there are some that we found that, that were really interesting that we wanted to explore with you guys today. Yeah, some of these have uh, a foot in reality for me and then a foot in kind of the fanciful where it would it would require – one of those big conspiracies that there are so many human beings that would have to be behind it, and uh, it just seems a little out of the reach of reality for me. Okay. But the first one is that the EPA is trying to enforce gun control by limiting and removing lead from bullets. Yeah, how's that going for them? Well, it was a it was an idea. I'm just saying that's if that's a thing they're doing, it is failing miserably. Yeah, because I bought some bullets earlier. Well, I mean, maybe there's no lead in those bullets. I, I don't know. I haven't bought bullets ever in my life. Are bullets even still made of lead? They have to be, right? Do they? Oh, God. <laughs> no, I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but go on with this story. Yes. Yeah. Tell Let's me. Bear this out. Tell, tell me, really. They, uh, so they actually said, they, they said that or people thought they were going to say it? Well, they, okay. That is one of those, one of those reports. 
that comes out that will mention something like the EPA is looking into effects of lead in the environment. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they want to see, well, where are some of the man-made sources of lead? Where is it coming from now? We don't use lead paints anymore. There are a lot of places where we've reduced our use of lead as a human species, mm-hmm. especially in the United States. Sure, where's gasoline. It, yeah. Where is it coming from now? Well, one of the places is ammunition. Ammunition. And get this, Ben. Fishing tackle. Oh, yeah. The silent killer. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it surprises fish. Yeah. So, so what's what's the truth, Noel? Can you can you hit us up with a, a truth bomb real quick? All right. Here's the truth. So, according to our sources, the Center for Biological Diversity and other environmental groups filed a petition asking the EPA to consider banning the use of lead and ammunition in fishing tackle, arguing that these products are exposing wildlife and the people who consume said wildlife to harmful levels of this heavy metal. But the EPA, for its part, had no plans to actually implement this agenda. Quote, EPA was not and is not considering taking action on whether the lead content in hunting ammunition poses an undue threat to wildlife. You know, it's kind of interesting that 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 proposition, because ammunition in a hunting situation inherently poses a threat to wildlife. (laughs) That's what it's supposed to do. I certainly hope so. Fishing tackle inherently aids and abets fish. Like, I, I love fishing. I suck at it, but I love it. I love the idea that fishing tackle aids and abets the harm of wildlife. Right, yeah. So it, it's it's just, it, to me, it's strange. And I'm, I'm glad that you point this out, Noel, that there is a grain of truth to this that I, I guess became alarmist. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. It just, it doesn't make sense to ban that in that way. Well, yeah. And and you can see if you've got a political agenda that wants to make someone, make person B or group B look bad, you say, Oh, look, the, this guy's trying to get the EPA to ban guns and, and ammunition. Look at this. And you know, you can see how it would be used in a political manner. Mm hmm. It's pretty, pretty blatant. Yeah, I could, I, I could totally see that. And it, it, I guess it would make sense, but. I would just, you know, like, so where's, where's the money? <laughs> where's the money, Lebowski? You know, right. in, in doing this. I mean, How do you uh, follow you know, the trail? nine times out of ten, it seems like if we're talking about conspiracies <laughs> within government organizations, usually it's about someone making some money. So mm-hmm. what benefit is there for an EPA official to Get behind this. To outlaw lead. To outlaw lead. Well, there would be the, I think the origin point there is the idea that, uh, Big Brother will do anything to render a well-armed populace, uh, irrelevant or. Yeah, populace. take your guns away. Right. I mean, I, I mean, that was the implication for me as well, but mm-hmm. I just, I just don't see it coming from this particular wing. I think there's a better way if, if there's, if the government really does want to get rid of all of the bullets. There's a better way to do it than the EPA. I don't know what that way is because I'm not trying to do that. (laughs) I was trying to, I was, I'm really thinking of a better way to do that. Giant magnets. Gigantic magnets. Brilliant. Brilliant. What I love is how simple it is. (laughs) Um, It's like that Breaking Bad, you know? God, that was a good one. Magnets. Yes. But how do they work? 
The, uh, You're going to have to ask the insane clown, clown posse. <laughs> Something tells me they don't know, but all right. Let's do one more. Let's let's talk about this idea that the EPA itself is polluting, that the EPA, like the World Bank allegedly might be, uh, it, the EPA is creating or propagating the problem it was built ostensibly to solve. There are people who believe that. Well, I mean, if you believe this theory – here are a couple things that I can imagine you saying to yourself. Well, they have to increase their budget year over year. So there have, there have to be increasing, uh, increasingly bad things that they have to take care of that they need more money to handle. No? Do you hear my head shaking? I hear it shake. I'm I trying to, I'm trying to imagine the things that would be said. Do you don't need a government organization to actively, you know, but what I'm saying is those people who work in the organization need to keep their jobs. And in order to keep their jobs, they have to. I'm just saying people do that for them. They don't need to help. Okay. You know, or, I mean, the corporations are doing a fine job of polluting. They don't need the EPA's help. Well, the EPA has helped accidentally a few times. For sure. No doubt. But I'm just saying, in terms of a conspiracy involving the EPA actually, you know, on their lunch break, they go out and dump a bucket of toxic waste into the river. You know, is that what we're I mean, come on. Unless they're getting money behind somebody's back from an industry on purpose just to make dump some toxic waste. Let's say, oh, I don't know, from the old Gold King mine, Ben. I, I was going to say... Satan! <laughs> uh, may as well be, yes. There is this idea that gained a little traction with the legislature in Utah, which was that the uh, EPA did not uh, accidentally release 3 million gallons of mining wastewater into the Animas River in Colorado. That instead, they purposefully did it. And... Uh, the state's attorney general was kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe, who knows? Tupac might still be alive. It's possible. Well, yeah, it stems from the idea that they were warned well in advance that there is an issue here. And not only would this one uh, King Gold or Gold King mine, there are all these other mines in that area that are are connected directly directly to rivers uh, and Groups, they are just warning and warning and warning. Hey, look, these mines have wastewater and terrible things in them that are going to get into the rivers and we have to do something about it. And it stinks because the EPA really kind of has to table it to a certain extent until they can get the resources to take care of it. At least that's what the EPA says. A representative named Mike Knoll. What? <laughs> Spelled the same way. Spelled the same way. Uh, said that the EPA might have caused the spill to help environmentalists put an end to the hard rock mining industry. I just don't see that. I don't know how that would. That's like such a Rube Goldberg machine of a plan. I would need some proof to believe that. Do you remember that board game Mousetrap? Oh sure. yeah. It's it's like a Mousetrap level overly complicated plan. Yeah. We're going to bust a hole in this uh, retaining wall and let out all this stuff. By the way, the pollutants that were let out and ended up, uh, what is it, Animus River? Mm -hmm. And they got polluted. Uh, You're looking at extremely high levels of lead, arsenic, cadmium, beryllium, and mercury in that water. So anything living in that water, anyone using that water, uh, this is not good. And... According to this uh, one CNN report that was looking at an actual EPA report, was talking about uh, 
perhaps the, cause these are heavy metals, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not that they just go away once they're in a river like this. They sink to the bottom. And then if you have catfish, uh, catfish, anything else that lives in there, or even if there's, um, a lot of, a lot of extra water moving through with a little bit of flooding, you're going to get that stuff. It's going to get up with the silt, get more problems. Anyway, I just thought this was a really interesting and kind of scary mm-hmm. thing that happened. Uh, on my birthday this year. So thanks oh, a lot. Thanks true. a lot, EPA. Yeah. EPA, uh, created in 1970 to look after the environment and to ruin birthdays. Ruin my Facebook posts on and, my birthday. Yes. Uh, well, I'm glad that they are doing something. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know, the, also the EPA does a lot of good work that gets ignored, right? The squeaky wheels get the grease, right? Mm-hmm. And the barking dogs are the ones you hear. Uh, and other various figures of speech. Yeah. Point being, we're focusing on the stuff that has been alleged or proven to be shady, to be incorrect, to be corrupt, because that's what we're looking to do. Um, yeah, this, if the yeah. EPA does their job, then we have no idea. And can the EPA do their job structurally, given the relationship between a business and, and a government, right, or just the sheer size of this regulatory body. How how are they doing? Why do ex-employees complain? But I guess ex-employees will always come out of the woodwork for anything, right? So uh, we want to – I guess we got to wrap it up, unfortunately. Yeah, mm-hmm. we want to hear from you guys. Uh, what do you think of the EPA? Are you one of the people – who thinks it shouldn't exist. If so, I, I want to hear from you. I, I think that something like it needs to exist. Uh, okay. I, that's what I think, just personally. No doubt. I don't know, uh, but I, I'm really interested in hearing the opinions of, of people who think that it shouldn't or that something different should exist. What would that be? And um, tell us... Tell us what things are like in your neck of the woods, especially if you live in a different country. Do you have something like the EPA? What do you think of them? Yeah. Have, do you have any run-ins with, let's say, stuff that's in your well water? Uh, if you live out in the Northwest or something, the Midwest, I want to, yeah, I'd love to hear stories of just dealing with. Any- even like things like fishing advisories. You know? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you can find us in various corners of the Internet. As we always say, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Where are we at on that? You can find us. We're conspiracy stuff on those. Uh, we like using those. Yes. But uh, there are two places, two ways mm. to hang out with us that I think are most profitable. In like terms of time? Yes. Oh, okay. The first one is to go to stufftheydontwantyoutoknow.com because mm-hmm. you can find this that we're doing right now. It exists there. Every version of our audio podcast, That's every right. episode. All the videos, mm-hmm. all the pictures of Ben and Matt hanging out around pylons. Mm-hmm. Soon Noel will be hanging around a pylon too. Man, I can't wait. For picture can day. I, can I lean on it? Oh, yes. You can kneel. Mm-hmm. You can do all the yeah, things. More okay, well, I'll kneel. I like, I like it when there are levels. So right. what, do, what, do, what do people do if they don't like websites? What if they just want to send us a direct message? I, I honestly don't know. What What do you do? Well, I suppose you could send an email to conspiracy at stuffworks.com. You're right. For more on this topic and other unexplained phenomena, visit youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. You can also get in touch on Twitter at the handle at Conspiracy Stuff.
It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.